Welcome to today's episode of The Square. I'm Brandon Carmichael, and I'm joined today by Sam Flores, who is both an architect, the director of Hugo, and dare I say a, a good friend. We've been on many a project together over the last, well, we don't need to say how many years. Yeah, yeah. A certain amount of years. We need other people to do the math for us. <laughs> but today we're going to talk a little bit about um, what Hugo is as a design research group, what, you know, how, what, the, what some of the things that they're doing, but also what led up to it. So give me a, just start me off with a glimpse of Sam, at the time, Sam Sanders, the kid, and growing up. Like, what was life like? The good old days. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, life was pretty normal. I grew up in a really, really small town here in Texas. Yeah. You can hear my twang every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up with one sister, and yeah, life was great. So I've, we've, just because... We're friends, and I know that you feel free to throw a fanny pack at me if needed. <laughs> I've put some images together, and I just want to run through them really quickly, and you kind of give me uh, a sentence or two about them. Okay. So speaking of your sister. That is my sister. That is us as babies. Um, we're only 16 months apart, so okay. you're really close. Do you have any other siblings or nope. just, just your just, sister? Just her. She's the older one. I'm the younger one here. Yes. And... um. Yeah, we're 16 months apart. We do we do so many things together. We're about to go to Taylor Swift together. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> really? <Sweet. laughs> All right, next picture is, oh, this is the drum. The drum. Yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about this. This was when we first started considering research as a consolidated effort across our firm. And uh, we were actually in the talks of creating Hugo at this point. And, you know, this was an event that we held for American Airlines, but um, really we opened it up to a lot of different clients across the board because it was helping our, you know, industry and helping our clients understand that research kind of filters into every part of the design process. Yeah. And that, you know, looking at emerging technologies and then how people adopt those emerging technologies can actually transform the architecture that we designed. I remember because the drum only hung about like four feet off the ground. Yeah, and it was this, go into it. it was this really unique experience. I remember the first time we took it to a conference, the grip guys were like, do you want us to put it up above? You know, like a sign. We're like, nope, four feet off the ground. They're like, four feet off the ground? But you get in there and it kind of blocked out all the sound yeah. and you could really immerse yourself in this beautiful mural that you had on the inside. And then everybody always wondered, like, what are people doing in there? Yeah, what, in there? What's in there? And then they'd get in there and be like, there's no food. Okay, well, <laughs> there's, thanks. They want to be in the <laughs> ring, and then all of a sudden it's like, eh, whatever. Yeah. All right, next one is, oh, the Evie Talls. Yeah. Um, so when we started Hugo, one of our first projects with the aviation team was the Uber Elevate project. So, Take a quick second. Give the the 30-second description of what Hugo is. So Hugo is a research and innovations group here at Oregon. And what we do is we look at and follow emerging technologies. And we also try to get a great understanding of the shifts in human behavior across time. And we look for the intersection of the two to help us, you know, identify emerging markets or look for larger trends that might point us to developing our architecture and designing in a different way, creating new services for our clients. Yeah. Um, so really trying to get that, you know, a little bit of those future predictions and planning for those future flexibility, um, those types of things. And so some of the research that we do is really future forward. So something like Uber Elevate, where we're trying to help our aviation clients understand what those networks of operation 
will be in the future and how to integrate this into their uh, current facilities. And then on the flip side, when we're looking at human behavior, we're trying to understand well, who is the market for right. for eVTOLs? Who's going to be taking these? What price point do these need to really be at? And when we start thinking about that price point, well, what do the facilities need to do to support that type of user behavior? Right. And how are people going to be using this? So um, there's a lot of, you know, here's an eVTOL and it's emerging technology. And then there's a lot of research that goes into, like, how is it going to operate? So how long before I can go up to the top of Corgan's building and grab an eVTOL <laughs> to DFW to avoid all the traffic? Um, that might be a question for Scott. A few years? <laughs> before we see if they're going to put a, an eVTOL pad up on the top. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our next picture, I think, was one of the projects we worked on together. Yes, the robot. So this was for TMG. Yeah. And I remember the first day we got together and they were like, hey, we want to sit, we want to launch this product, which is now launched, so we can talk about it. And um, it was a- Two-phase emerging cooling. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So TMG was rethinking how to do a traditional data center design. Yeah, they were looking at how they can solve the problem with edge compute. And so they wanted, because their product was- was modular. They wanted the booth to be an experience where they could walk through, learn about the product, but have an extremely immersive experience that engaged all of your senses. I forget exactly how a robot came in there, but I, I remember this mural and the touchscreens and the sound isolation and the whole thing was was a really cool project to start off on. Yeah, I mean, this was it was in 2019, Data Center World conference and we probably had one of the biggest and and most elaborate booths yeah As you can see here there was a a space where you can learn about the product through different touch screens on the exterior you could see how it would impact your data center um there was a mock-up which you can't really see but behind this uh wall here where you could sit and like act actually act like you're operating the data center and then when you walk into the black box that's where we had created, remember, yeah. created different uh, temperature, different lighting, different uh, smells. Fans, yeah. yeah. And do you remember building that water profile? <laughs> and all of us were smelling it. I was like, this isn't water. I got no, I think they call it nose drunk, right? Where you just can't <laughs> smell anything <laughs> anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was also, I think, one of the first things that we did that really led to Media Lab doing a lot more immersive design mm -hmm. in concert with, with Hugo, which was really mm -hmm. cool. All right, our next image is it's ironic <laughs> it's ironic that today may 4th so to all my fellow star wars people out there may the 4th be with you but may 4th is also celebratory for you for a reason it's audrey hepburn's birthday it's audrey hepburn's and birthday and she, I, I that was one of, i remember when we were in china and i first met you and we were working on the i guess it was the shanghai project mm -hmm. we that was one of the first things you've talked about was how much you like audrey hepburn i do i love her she was such a good philanthropist and such an incredible actress and so driven yeah. and just she was so humble never thought she was good enough if if you ever want to like you know think about your life read an Audrey Hepburn book learn a little bit about her because she has such an incredible you know she was born um and grew up in Hungary and then like you know was her acting career came out of the war mm -hmm. the world the war the world war, war ii and it's just, she just has such an incredible life and she was always giving back to her community and giving back to the world and, and just such a great person. And she's someone I want to grow up to be. There you go. For favorite Hep Audrey Hepburn movie? Oh, Breakfast, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Tiffany's. I, I would go with Charade. 
I would. It was my first oh, Audrey. I love charade. I love charade. Yeah. But breakfast at Tiffany's is just so iconic. It's iconically her. And there's just so many great, you know, quotes from that movie. And yeah. I know it's cliche for a girl to like breakfast at Tiffany. <laughs> but you're leaning right into it. Yeah. All right. Our next image is the future ain't what it used to be. Yogi Berra. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Yogi Berra is actually my dad's, one of my dad's favorite um, baseball players. He's named after Mickey Mantle. So oh, there you go. Mickey Mantle is his favorite, but Yogi Berra is probably his second. Name. Yeah. So um, my dad was always number eight for Yogi Berra. And, you know, I, I think I posted this on my Instagram when Yogi Berra died, but it's because he has so many fun quotes yeah. that always just leave you like, what does he mean by that? And this one, the future ain't what it used to be. I just love that for myself because, you know, I'm always trying to think into the future and always remembering that, like, the way that people used to think about the future before yeah, is not the same. You know, right now when, and I don't mean to go too deep, but right now when we're thinking about the future, you know, we have to think about inclusivity and diversity and we have to think about those communities that are completely underserved. Whereas, you know, there's a study that back in, I think it was 1960-something, they did a projection of what the Office of the Future would be in the 2020s. And they got almost everything right except for the women. They didn't put women in the workplace. Oh, you're kidding. Maybe in the 50s when they did the study, 50s or 60s. But yeah. Huh. And so it's just like, well, yeah, we have to think differently yeah. about the future than we used to. Yeah, we have to take a more inclusive look at it. Yeah. All right, our next image is... <laughs> so one of the fun parts about being in China was certainly the markets. I love these random pictures. <laughs> yeah, these random pictures. I'm pretty sure this was actually one that John did John Higgs bought that helmet. That was his helmet. Yeah. yeah. For y'all's moped. Because we were there for so long that it made sense for us to buy mopeds it made to be sense. able to get around. Yeah. It so long, meaning if it took more than a week, we were buying mopeds. <laughs> um but I still carry the the Apple monitor like on the moped. I remember carrying Luke Boney with a gear with a backpack full of gear. I uh, this is about you. That. I know this is about you, and it was probably right after this <laughs> one. <laughs> but I did. I do like how you know there was, particularly on that project, there was such an emphasis on a cultural immersion, like you know that airport not being something that was an American design. It right. was a purely Chinese design, and there was a lot of partnerships that went into that, and then really immersing as designers in the in the um, culture and whatnot, right. and and letting those come through in the design. Well, and and this was one of those projects, you know, even just building off of what I just said about the Yogi Berra picture, yeah. one of those projects where we really had to think differently about how we were designing because we were designing for a population and a culture that we really hadn't truly designed for mm -hmm. and it led to us doing an immense amount of research and looking into human behaviors in a totally different way and it was really this project that started leading me down that path of we should implement this across the firm this type of human behavior research should really be something that we yeah. do here and and um and yeah it was so long ago i mean it was it was a fun time yeah it was there was some really long long, 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 long because we would be wrapping up dinner and would come back and everybody in the U.S. would be gearing up for yes. whatever they were doing that day. So it was, we inevitably would be going late into the night because we were doing meetings the other yep. day here. All right, next picture will probably not be nearly as fun. Oh, the theaters. Tell me about the theaters, yeah. Yeah, so I mentioned I come from a really small town in Texas called Borger. It's up north of Amarillo. Um, and 
it's funny because it's it's got a population of about 15,000, 16,000 maybe. And uh, it's one of those towns where you just know everybody. Everybody knows you. They know everything that you do. It's just, it's one of those towns. Yeah. And we somehow have not one, but two Corgan theaters. Corgan theaters. Corgan designed theaters. So this is one of them. This is the Rex Theater, which I think is um, either a retail store or a health food store at this point. Yeah. Um, but it used to be. But the building is still there. The building's still there. It still looks like this. It just doesn't have the sign. And when I was young, it was a retail store. So it was always really fun to go up to where they used to have seats mm -hmm. in the, the balcony area is where all the kids stuff was. And we'd go up there and play. Uh, it's such a cool building. And then the other one was the. Um, the Morley. The Morley. Yeah. Right. The Morley's the other theater. Yep. This is it. This is the Morley. So this is the other theater that we have. In... It's a different look. It's a different design, for sure. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I love it. This one's still a theater in Borger. We still go there um, to watch movies, and they've, they've built it out quite a bit now. They have multiple um, showing rooms, but it's it's incredible that we had two Corgan buildings. I, I just, I can't believe. I love this. This looks like there's a Cary Grant movie playing and a Shirley Temple movie playing. I can't tell which one it is. Remember, I'm sure we could find it. I don't remember when this was built exactly, but I do think if if folklore from Borger is correct. So Jack Corgan had to fly in to Borger to design and talk to people in Borger about the theaters, and I think he helped develop our airstrip there. Oh, really? Yeah. So we used to have when we were a precursor to Love Field. Yeah. So me working in aviation prior to Hugo was like kismet, I guess. Well, or is so, that the word? Yeah, it was close enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good lead up to our last picture, which uh, was a little bit of a foretelling because this is you at, at five. Yeah. In front of a Corgan Associates building. Yeah. And I think that's the Plumwood office. Yeah. That we, when we were working on DFW Airport, um, we, as in not me, because I was only five, and Corgan does not support child. I'm pretty labor. sure John Higgs, our boss, was working on that project. Well, funny story. If you really want to know, when I was, I think nine, it they did an animation for DFW, mm -hmm. and that was my that was my first introduction to like architecture and 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 animations. Yeah, and I thought this is what I want to do, and I told John Higgs that, and he was like, Yeah, I created yeah. this. <laughs> he worked on that. So, I, I, but I have to, I mean, uh, why in front of the Corgan building? So, the man in the middle is my uncle. And okay. he, that's Dee. Yep. I got D. it. Swope. Okay. He used to work here. He was a principal here on the aviation team for several years. Um, he's now retired and living his best life. He's probably in Egypt right now. Yeah, he travels a ton. Yes, he does. Um, yeah, that's what aviation will get that little bug in you and, <laughs> and you travel everywhere. So, so let's, let's, dive in a little bit because you know you started as an architect i vividly remember you studying for those tests while we were in china working on the shanghai project um and and you were a designer in the architect in the aviation sector but did you then you end up leading you know hugo with the with the research side of things what was that what was that transition like what what led to that yeah, so um, so you're right. I started off as an architect. Um, I've been with Corgan for 
I won't name how many years. Several. Several, several years. <laughs> and I did about six years on the aviation team. And three of those, I was a licensed architect. Um, it just took me a little while to get into the tests. But, um, you know, working on the aviation team, as I mentioned before, really opened me up to looking at different communities and learning more about them and learning how we all do things differently. I've always been kind of a people watcher and just fascinated by what people do. And, you know, there was a point in time I was I was in San Francisco. It's so it's so weird. I was reading this book. I had well, let me step back. Yeah, I had through a, a couple of projects with some clients, some aviation clients. I had met a futurist and she introduced me to this book called Exponential Organizations. And my husband and I started reading that book at the same time. And we were in San Francisco and we were like, well, what would it be like if, you know, he works in data? And so what would it be like if his company and my company, you know, our, our talents kind of merged? And it was it's again with the cliche. I already said the Audrey Hepburn cliche, but it was one of those we were at a hotel bar. We had napkins. We had yep. pens and we started writing out like, well, you would have to do all this type of human behavioral analysis. And what would that look like? And you'd have to do research into future emerging technologies. And what would that look like? And who would those players be? And we were in San Francisco. So, you know, we had all this you had the, the vibe. Yeah, you had the, the juices flowing. And, yeah. and from there, you know, it, it really was just an opportune moment because when I pitched it to leaders here at the firm, they were all very receptive because it was something that we needed here at Corgan yeah. and something that they saw as a need and something they had actually been thinking about as well. So which passion came first? Was it, is it the architecture and the design that led to the research or do you feel like you've always kind of had that bug for understanding the why behind things? Um, I have always had the why. <laughs> I think that comes from just being a kid at heart and always needing to know the answer. I mean, you have two small kids, yeah. you know this? <laughs> um, you know, originally when I was going to college, I I wanted to be an artist. And specifically because I got so interested in drawing and painting people. Mm -hmm. And my parents told me that maybe I should go into a more lucrative <laughs> career. That was a really nice way of putting that. <laughs> so I chose architecture. With, you know, an art history minor and, yeah. and French minor and all those things. Um, because there were, because, you know, I was interested in other cultures. I was interested in people. But I was also very interested in buildings, you know, yeah. and the design of them. And I feel like all of those interests kind of congealed and became who I am. Who you are today. Was there, besides Audrey Hepburn, was there anybody that you looked to growing up that really kind of inspired you? Um, to be an architect? Mm -hmm. You know, my first introduction to architecture, I feel like I'm full of cliches today, but my first introduction to architecture was Corgan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my uncle introduced me to a lot of the, the design work that they were doing. And so naturally, I was just very interested in, in what Corgan was doing, what buildings they were designing, um, what markets they were in. Um, but I didn't really get influencers into, you know, architecture until I was in college. And then I had a lot of influence. I was I was heavily influenced, and you can see this in my work, um, by UN Studio and Liz Diller and, well, Diller, Diller Scapidio and Run Pro. And then, uh, um, of course, BRK Eagles. I was waiting for it. <laughs> So, um, and it was great because I actually, big fan. I am 
I am. I fangirled when I met him for the first time and the second time. <laughs> and uh, and then I got to learn under Liz Diller. Yeah. And she was my mentor in grad school. So it's really great that I got to, I was heavily influenced by these people that I did. And, and through Corgan and Aviation, I get to work with you in studio. So all of the influencers that, you know, kind of helped me along my collegiate career, um, I've gotten to meet in my professional career and it's just been really exciting. When you when you think about that professional career, are there projects that stand out to you as kind of milestone projects um, that were a big part of, you know, creating who you are as a designer and as a leader? Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of really great projects I've worked on. And, you know, when I think of milestones, obviously Shanghai is one big milestone. Um, it was our first big competition win for, at least for me, I think one of the biggest for the aviation team at the time. Um, you know, it's funny. One of the projects I consider a milestone project is the Dallas Aviation Headquarters, mm -hmm. which is a really small building uh, right off of Lemon. And it's because it was the first one where I really got to dig into like design and construction detailing and I got to lead a portion of the design project. So it was really inspiring. Some ownership. Yeah. And I got to talk to the people about how they worked and yeah. design their offices around them. And um, Uber Elevate, those were obviously huge milestones for me because there were there were actually two Uber Elevate projects and one I did. I worked on while I was on the aviation team and one I worked on as a, as the Hugo director. Right. And it was, it was clear to me that this was a turning point for me because it was, I'm not an aviation architect anymore. I am someone who's looking into the future and really trying to figure out how we can bring that future into reality. Um, so those were some really big projects for me. So speaking of, you know, projects as the director of Hugo, you know, you, you made the case, which is one of the things I love about our leadership, shameless plug. Um, you you made the case of why you felt like it was going to be beneficial to the firm. They supported you. You start this team. It starts as you. And then there's one person. And now you're leading a team of uh, five other people. So there's six of you total. Right. What is inevitably, you know, there has to be a fair amount of collaboration. I know that you each kind of have your your talents that you bring to the team. How does the collaboration work when it's something that um, is in design and there has to be creativity, but mm -hmm. it has to be backed with data? How does all of that work? Yeah, I I um, I really liken us to, and I'm saying this humbly, the Avengers, <laughs> because we each have our own areas of expertise and our own talents and things that we're really good at. But sometimes we also have areas that we're just not great at. Yeah. And our team has been really great at understanding what those areas are and leveraging the talents of the others. Yeah. And I think that's in incredibly important for one, for such a small team, and for two, for, you know, very transparent collaboration. Yeah. And so when we're working on projects um, that need that in, you know, maybe there's, you know, a lit review or maybe there's user observation that we have to do, or maybe there's technical equipment where we're, you know, retina scanning and um, doing light air quality smell sensor, scent sensors. Um, you know, we each have our expertises in those areas. Throw in, you know, looking at big data sets and doing large surveys across large swaths of the population and trying to find insights from there. I mean, when you think about all of that together and then that moving into architecture and design, 
and translating that back to the human who's using the space. That really kind of encompasses how we work together as a collaborative team. How, what happens when you hit those dry spells where you just you're against a problem that you just can't figure out, or there's you know you're just staring at a blank page? How do Go you outside. get past it? Really? Yeah. Go outside. Take a walk. Talk about something other than work. Let the back of the brain and work it, on it. Yes, it literally helps. I mean, our team will often, you know, if we're working on a problem and we're kind of running in circles, yeah. we will stop. We will go to a different location. And sometimes that just is what opens it up. Yeah. Or, on the other hand, our team is really good at rambling. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't begin to imagine. <laughs> and sometimes it takes that person... You know, it takes a little bit of that runway to get to the point to where everybody else gets that aha light bulb. And so, you know, we are really, really good at letting people kind of help each other figure out different problems, cut each other off respectfully (laughs) (laughs) and and ramble. And I think all of those things sometimes are seen as deficiencies in project work when we're thinking about moving constantly moving constantly productivity um but sometimes the stopping and thinking stopping and reading a book going outside and hearing the birds all of those things really help so is there is there anything like a, a setback or a rejection or something that stands out in your career that ultimately you know had a had a big role in shaping it i mean yeah uh not something i typically talk about but there was a, a Stark Tech firm that I was applying to at the same time I applied to Corgan to start professionally. Yeah. And uh, they had so many rounds of interviews and Corgan basically said like, hey, <laughs> we're ready. Yeah, we really want you. <laughs> and I remember saying no to that firm and coming to Corgan and there was a time where I was like, is this the best decision? And I look back on that and I think 100% I chose the right path because I had friends that went to that firm Mm -hmm. and they didn't last a year because the politicking and the stepping on each other and, you know, you never can make it without cutting someone else off, not respectfully. (laughs) And I think that that's just indicative of how different architecture firms can be. And I think had I not come to Corgan and had the type of support and advocacy that I've had here, I wouldn't be in the position I am today. And I love my job. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of another job that I would do better or that I would want to do differently. Yeah. So is there, all right, so let's go a completely different route. If you, now that we've had our Corgan commercial moment, if you, which was completely unintentional, if you were to do something completely out of architecture, like you were to do something totally different, yeah, and it can't be um, Audrey Hepburn's assistant, what what would you do? So <laughs> it's random. Um, I think so. For maybe people that don't know me, I recently had a baby. Yes, and I think pre-baby, my job would have had something to do with worldwide travel probably philanthropy, um, and I still think I'd be interested in those things. But right now, <laughs> I think I'm much more interested in low-stress activities. <laughs> and I have As to... Any mother would be. <laughs> I, I have to, I, and, I, and I also have become so much more environmentally minded after being a mom. I don't know. It's just like that 
flip switched and I compost now and I recycle in a different way. And I, you know, I uh, volunteer at different, you know, areas across Dallas. And so I think, you know, at this point, if, if I were to say what my career would be, it would be growing vegetables on my land and owning a restaurant where I served those vegetables. That's awesome. Maybe some chickens. I don't know if I could actually. No goats. You know, I, I just don't think I can. I think they would be my pets after a yeah. while. I just don't think. Yeah. Um, and then and then also growing flowers and selling those. Yeah. So like very stress free life. Um, we will put a picture of Ali up because she's too cute not to show. She is adorable. <laughs> she's the cutest baby ever. So is um, I had one other question for you about Hugo because I I can imagine especially when you are like you said in your own words you're looking at what's next you're looking at some of the design trends. On any given day, you can be hit with so many ideas, and and some of them have a long burn, and yep. some like um, uh, the everything that's going on with generative AI right now. It's like it's just exploded. Yeah. Literally, I was in a meeting today. Literally, every day there's something new coming out in a different Absolutely. way. People are thinking to use it. How do you distill them down and make sense of them? That's a great question. <laughs> How does anyone? No, I mean, um, you know, one of my favorite questions that we get from people outside of Hugo is, what does a typical day look like? Mm -hmm. And it's really challenging to answer that because, like you mentioned, we have have different issues to tackle every day. So, for example, we have several projects on our plate that are, you know, months long. And, And we've had research that have taken years. And we have projects that literally need to be done in four hours. Yeah. And... I think what's interesting is that part of our day is tackling those ongoing tasks. And then the other part of our day is left to help out where needed across the firm. And um, I, you know, that helps us be agile, but that's how we've basically structured our team. Yeah. There's, you're going to have two ways of looking at it. It's going to be a losing battle. You can never get a handle on it, or it's going to be an exciting adventure. There's always something new. And I, I get the impression you guys are definitely in that latter group. Yeah. And you know, what's fun is when we find out that across the firm, there are people asking for the same thing, but they just don't know what they're asking for. Right. And then we actually can ball up that that offering as a service and start to streamline it. And I think the streamlining process is really fun because we're using it constantly and we're finding a way to then pass it off to the firm yeah. so that, you know, we can actually start to tackle a few new things. Now, we're not always asked to design something, you know, that has to be fully operational after five weeks yeah. <laughs> and mobile and dynamic. <laughs> you know which project I'm referring to. Yep. <laughs> but we love those those questions yeah. that come to us where someone's like, I literally don't know how to answer this client request. Right. What would you do? And that's when we get to say, well, here's all the things out of the box that yeah. we would do and something will stick to the wall. And then that's where we just go, go, go. So typically when we wrap up these episodes, one of the questions we, we will ask a lot is what excites you about the future, particularly in architecture? It seems like a, a an unnecessarily loaded question for you because <laughs> you have so that's uh, that's what you do all day is think about that. But are there a couple of things that you feel like um, are going to be those those key, you know, turns that have a long lasting effect on architecture? You know, yes, there are some things that really excite me. I think I'm at the point right now where, you know, coming back to people watching and user behavior, 
is adoption. Mm -hmm. There are so many great things that we can do for our world, for the country, for the people that live in it, but we can't do it if people don't accept it. Mm. And I think that that seemed like a losing battle several years ago, and we're starting to turn the corner with adoption. And that is on part of large companies, that is on part of you know individuals like you and me that are adopting technology and adopting innovation and adopting you know environmental awareness in a lot of different ways and so i think right now the thing that's most interesting to me about the future is seeing people's minds change around very very specific and very global topics Mm. um so it's adopting a mindset really Yes. And it's the transition, right? Because we're looking at, you know, adopting different ways of designing across generations. And so when we as architects today are designing, you know, I'm not designing for me. Right. I'm designing for younger generations. Right. And I think that that's always something we need to keep in mind, especially when we know that those generations coming up have a lot more knowledge in a lot of different areas. Yeah. And also have career paths that don't exist today. Yeah. You know, so we could be designing an office to house people that are going to be designing the next moon base. We could be designing an office that integrates vertical farming and gives food to our communities. So I think that the interest to me lies in what will people adopt? When will they adopt it? And how can we help them get there? Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see shameless plug for the Curiosity to Report because that comes out kind of throughout the year and it hits on these different topics we've been talking about with, about the future trends. So make sure you check that out. Sam, thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. And thank you for watching. For more information about Hugo and some of what we've been talking about, including maybe a link to the IMDb page for Breakfast at Tiffany's because, yeah. you know, you got to put yeah. it down there. We'll put that down in the description below. Um, other than that, make sure you tune in next time.